A hundred years ago, certainly prior to World War I and up to World War II, churches were still living on the assets of revival. Now, the history of revivals in the Western world has been the 1800s, the 19th century, the days of Moody and Spurgeon, and many who witnessed God turn nations back to God in a mighty way. But then things began to peter out. Our grandparents and our parents were members or attended large denominations. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliver. Thank you for joining with us. Today we come to the question, will God really judge? That is well answered here in 2 Peter chapter 2, and I just want to read to you here the very scripture concerning this message. 2 Peter 2 and, well, let's begin at verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds." The Lord knoweth how to deliver the the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Well, I think the word of God is very, very clear in this passage, and I think there can be no ambiguity whatsoever that it is true that God judges. And that's going to be the message today as we turn to our uh, pulpit ministry here at our Free Presbyterian Church. And and the, the answer is very simple. God does judge. God is the judge of all the earth, and we're told that the judge of all the earth shall do right. And it is the work of the gospel preacher to prepare men for that judgment. It is the job of the church to cry out to a lost world, to prepare to meet thy God, because each one will give account on that great day. Now, let's just uh, have a prayer before we go to the message. Father, we thank thee today for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is a word of warning as well as a word of welcome. And I pray today as we come to this message on judgment that you will use this to turn the hearts of men and women from darkness to light, that they might be saved and prepared and delivered from judgment. We know that thou art a God who loves sinners, sent your Son to die for them, that they might be saved from hell, fire, and judgment. O God, today demonstrate your love and grace in turning many to righteousness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But the three things we need to look at in this passage is judge not by the appearance of things. 
judged by the history of God's judgments. That's number two. And the third one, judged by the evidence of purity. Now, we are called to judge, and I tried to deal with that last week. Do not fall into the trap where we are judged not that you be not judged. That's talking to the hypocrite. That's talking about the person who has a beam in his eye and is trying to pick a little speck out of someone else's eye. But God's people are to judge. God's people are called to judge righteously. We are to be fruit inspectors. By their fruits ye shall know them. And we are to judge not by the appearance of things. And we are told here in this passage, not by popularity, because many will run after them, not by money-making, because these people work by covetousness, and not by their claims of God's blessing, or that they are allowed to continue in their wicked ways. See, I've been doing this many years. See the increase? See the following? See the popularity? See the money that's coming in? And they make that their argument, we therefore have God's blessing. Well, what's the richest church in the world? Would you join it? Would you sign up to be a member of the richest church in the world with all its gold and all its finery? No, that's not the way to judge. Now, we know that all men who are not believers are condemned already. John 3.18 says that uh, he that believeth not is condemned already. But there's a special category here for these false teachers. And God's mind is working here of those who preach another gospel, and judgment for them will be multiplied. Look at verse 13 in this uh, chapter 2. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. God works on a reward basis. Now, He doesn't save you on a reward basis. We're saved by grace, not by works. We're not saved on the basis of what we do in our performance. But God judges men in their sin according to their works, according to their deeds. And He bestows upon men the rewards of their unrighteousness. Verse 14, they're guilty of beguiling unstable souls. And in verse 20, their latter end is worse with them than at the beginning. Now, they mock because of their freedom to sin and resist against God, and they mock because they feel that they don't come under the immediate judgment of God. And they say, where is the appearance of His coming? Where's the promise of His coming? Look how long the world has continued. But there's coming a day when those tables will be turned, and those who mock at God's long-suffering will weep and cry under the wrath of God's judgment. And so, don't be fooled into thinking that big religious leaders and organizations have God's blessing. If they deny the Lord that bought them, and that's what we read of here in this uh, <coughs> verse 1, damnable heresies, even denying the Lord. If the ministry is denying the Lord, that's the point of judgment. That's the point at which we exercise discernment. Are you doing that? Are you a discerning Christian in these times? Because if you don't exercise good biblical judgment, you're going to be swept away. You're going to fall. You're going to lose 
the ability to say no to false ministry. You're going to walk into the crowd and say, isn't this exciting? And you're going to get that feel-good experience. And you'll say, this has to be God. And all the while it can be a delusion. If in that ministry they're denying the Lord, the Lord that bought them. You'll want to be in a safe place. Really, that's what Peter is crying out for here. Walk safely. Use good judgment. God has given you intelligence. He's given you His Word. He's given you His Spirit to teach you. And you must exercise due diligence that you don't fall prey to some false way. Then secondly, judge by God's history of judgments. Someone has said, this comes from psychology, by the way, but in this case it fits. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And, of course, the psychologist will take the child from childhood and say, well, behaving all that way, don't expect a sudden change. You're going to continue on. Well, let's apply that to the history of God's judgments. This is the kind of of God we know in the Bible. He is a God who does judge and destroy the wicked. The modern man says, no, that's foolish. God is love. The gospel's grace, not judgment and damnation. It's not God intervening in this world in a negative way to, to, to rip out ungodly men. That's contested. But look at the history of God judging. And there are three grand examples in this passage. The angels that sinned, the people in the days of Noah that sinned, and the people in the days of Lot that sinned. And two times, God uses what I would call the strongest language possible. God spared not. He spared not the angels that sinned, and He spared not the wicked in the day of Noah. Now, why, did, why is it put that way? Because that's contested. It's contested. God spares people. God wouldn't, a good God wouldn't damn someone. A good God wouldn't judge the wicked. No, we read here, God spared not the angels that sinned. Now, it's a very strange thing that angels in heaven end up in rebellion to God. But that's what happened to the devil, Lucifer. He raised up his ugly head, seeking to be like the Most High. You can study that in Isaiah 14 sometime. And Lucifer and those who followed him, those wicked angels that rebelled in heaven, they were cast out. Let's look at what it says here in verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. They're still there. They're incarcerated. They're in chains. And they're still there waiting for the judgment day. The angels that sinned, God spared them not. And Peter says that even those angels higher than men, nearer to God, already in heaven, and yet due to some manner of rebellion, cast down to hell. Does God judge His creatures? Is God a moral God? Does God believe in right and wrong? Certainly did with the angels. And then the second example is God spared not the old world in Noah's day. Verse 5, And God spared not the old world, 
Now, the old world is the pre-flood world, the world that existed in its millions and perhaps billions of people who were corrupt. We read that over in in, uh, Genesis 6. The people became corrupt, filled with violence, rebellious to God. Did God judge them? There was a line that the sinners of Noah's day crossed. God said this, My spirit shall not always strive with man. There'll come an hour when judgment will fall. Now, it wasn't the day that they were born. It wasn't when they could read or write. It wasn't their first sin. God immediately judged them. It wasn't their first hearing of the gospel by Noah preaching righteousness. It wasn't the day that Noah started building the ark. And it wasn't the day that the animals came into the ark. It wasn't the day that Noah and his family went into the ark. It was on the seventh day after all were in, and the hand of God moved. There was no pulley system for man to operate the door. God shut them in. And in shutting the door of the ark, judgment fell upon the wicked. Does God judge the wicked? This is his history. This is what he did in the past. And then example number three is the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, right here in verse 6, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. The bitumen, by the way, of Sodom and Gomorrah can still be found at the south end of the Dead Sea. That plain that God wiped off the map in a very sudden, fiery furnace, can still be visited today. It's a place of death, and there's a sermon in the ashes. Sodom, those ashes can still be seen, and God called out those cities because of their sexual immorality, homosexuality, sodomy. I think Paul refers to it in Romans 1. Talks about men lusting after men. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, and God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. We could read on. Does God judge sin and sinners? Come on now, answer the question. Many people want to hide behind the veil and say, no, evangelical is to be a nice religion. Don't mention that. You'll offend people. The church won't grow if you preach that aspect of God in His holiness against sin. And so many in that way are shut up to preach only half a message. Praise God, the gospel does save people from sin. And the gospel does bring men into purity and is to be denoted that they deny the knowledge of God, that it, it leads to vile affections. When the true God is denied, and men turn to deities of animals and so on, morality goes right down, down, down. How long will God endure such sin? We think of the great cities on the west coast of this continent, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Vancouver, and many other places where the sin of Sodom is now on parade. 
I did my little homework on when did this parade of sodomy begin in Canada and Vancouver? Well, they had what they call a, a, a gay week in Toronto in 1973, and then it turned into Gay Pride Day. What a wrongly misnamed event. How can anyone be proud of changing the natural use of the body into perversion? And what I don't comprehend is that husbands, wives, mothers, and fathers take their little children to stand along the side of the street to view the sordid, depraved event before their very eyes. It has brought this country, I surely believe, under the judgment of God. And we need to be praying for God's visitation. So we're to judge not by the appearance of things. We're to judge by God's history of judgments. We're also to judge by the evidence of purity. I want to <coughs> go down to verse 10. It says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lusts of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And it goes on right down there to verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. How do we judge? We judge by the measure of purity. When God saves sinners, He saves them with a new heart to walk with God in the light of His Word and to do His will. This list doesn't sound like a good character reference for a religious leader. And Peter is saying, use your judgment. If they're following immorality, if they're following sin, they're not of God. They don't have the message of God. The gospel ministry is a high and holy calling. And only deceived people would follow after adulterers and flagrant sinners. And that's what we have in so many religious quarters. It's time for us to realize to judge by purity. Purity. Next week, I want to preach on Lot. The Bible gives an amazing testimony for Lot. Lot was a fool to choose to pitch his tent towards Sodom. He only saw the green grass. He didn't see the wickedness of Sodom until he was in it and couldn't drag himself out of it. We are told here in this Scripture that Lot vexed his soul every day. He was a miserable man. The sight, the sounds of sin broke his heart. And when he saw his own children following the ways of the wicked, he was a defeated man. And then he lost his wife on the way out when she looked back. These are warnings to us. And we are called in this evil day, this day when these sins are touted as good, touted as liberty, freedom, 
We're called to live for righteousness. It's a difficult day to live as a Christian. But God, look what it says here, and I want to preach on this next week. Next week or the following. Next week's Easter, so I may not, but we're going to preach on this before too long. And it says here in verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And he's the same today. He can deliver us. He can deliver our children. That's why we pray. That's why we seek to walk with God. That's why we need a church that believes in God and preaches his word and warns the wicked and calls God's people to holy living because the Lord is able to deliver us from temptation. Even though we're in the midst of a Sodom all around us, God is able to deliver us. And it is his covenant promise that he's going to call out a people for his own name, and he can keep us, kept by the power of God through faith, ready to be reserved unto that day. That's God's grace to us. I trust that you will be a man or woman of prayer. Don't throw in the towel and say it's such an evil day, there's no point in serving God. Don't say it's too wicked, it's too evil, it's all over. Well, we certainly see things go the wrong way around us, but we can be a church where we have God's help and God's power within us. Will you pray for that? Will you stand with us for that? We, we need God's people to rise up and stand for the Lord Jesus. We need wisdom to do it. We need unity to do it. We need the Holy Ghost to fill us and fit us, and surely the Lord will use us to deliver men, pulling them out of the fire, seeing souls saved and our families led in the right path. May God help us in an evil day and give us good wisdom, godly wisdom, godly judgment, to know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and that we may so glorify.
listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher. Thank you for joining with us. May the Lord draw near, bless, and work in every one of our hearts today and lead us to a simple, satisfying faith in the Lord Jesus. Mr. Spurgeon said, Had it been possible for God to set aside the claims of his justice and simply to forgive without making satisfaction to his law, we should have felt our standing to be questionable, unjustly saved, poor position for the one who has a conscience. And yes, it is because we have a conscience and we have a soul that we recognize our need to be right with God. And we need to be right with God because he is holy and just, but we have broken his law and need a savior. We need to be prepared for heaven by the saving power of the Lord Jesus. Mr. Spurgeon went on to say that if we had led in hell forever, yet divine justice would not have been fully justified, for after thousands of years of suffering, they would remain still and on an eternity of debt due to God's justice. If God had annihilated all the sinners that ever lived at one stroke, He would not have so honored his justice as he did when he took sin and laid it on his son. And his son bore divine wrath, which was due to that sin. For now, there has been rendered unto divine justice a full equivalent, a complete recompense for all the dishonor which it suffered. Yes, we can say that absolutely truly, Jesus died and paid the penalty. He has settled the account. He has made it right with God on our behalf. And so we are saved by running to Jesus, trusting in his death, trusting in his sufferings as payment for our sin. And that because he took our judgment, there is no judgment for us. That brings us to the great truth of justification. In Mr. Spurgeon said, it is admitted by all evangelical Christians that the standing or falling in the church is that of justification by faith. And of course, that's the power of the gospel because Christ made such an atonement, offering himself as a sacrifice to pay divine justice for sin. All who believe on him are absolutely, totally, justified, treated just as if they had never sinned. Their sins are gone, and they are made right with God, justified, made righteous, and acceptable with him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. We're not here just to say there's a hell and God is a judge. We're here to tell you of the Savior and of the power of the blood to cleanse you from all your sins. So come believing, come to Jesus today and be saved. Be saved from sin, be saved from judgment, and be safe through the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Run to him, believe, and be saved. You have been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Gallagher. If you missed part of this broadcast or would like to hear it again, you can go to ltbs.ca. You will also see ways you may support 
this gospel ministry. And you will find details about our church in Scarborough, where Pastor Larry Saunders is the minister. In Port Hope, where Reverend Reggie Cranston is the minister. In Barrie, where Reverend Anthony DiDerno is the minister. And in Buffalo, where Reverend Philone is the minister. You will find all their details at ltbs.ca. If I can be of personal help, I would love to open the Bible to talk and pray one-to-one with you so that you may know you are saved and sure of it. Call me at 604-897-2040 or email me at ltbsradio at gmail.com. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Until the same time next week on this station, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His loving care.